0: CHAPTER SIX of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, recorded by Adrian Pretzelis. CHAPTER SIX Bliss stood before the window of his attic, gazing down on one of the busy streets in the neighbourhood of St Pancras. Behind him, his landlady was busy clearing away his meagre breakfast, Below the rain-soaked streets were thronged with an ever-increasing stream of people and a tangled chaos of uninspiring-looking vehicles. A stunted row of smoke-blackened trees stood like dreary sentinels before a medley of dejected-looking tenement houses. The horizon was grey and murky. Perhaps for the first time in his life Bliss realized the intense depression that comes from the contemplation of sheer ugliness. You'll excuse my reminding you, sir, but it's gone eight o'clock. Bliss turned suddenly around. His landlady was standing with the tray in her hands, preparing to leave the room. She was a small, thin woman. Her face was sharpened with the stress of many anxieties. Her grey hair was brushed uncompromisingly back from her forehead. Nevertheless, there was a kindliness in her tone, kindliness even in her sad eyes and tired mouth. She looked at her lodger as though she almost dreaded to hear his reply. "'No hurry for me this morning, Mrs. Heath,' Bliss said. "'I've had to leave that first job of mine.' She sighed as she rested the tray for a moment on the edge of the table. "'It's bad luck, sir,' she said simply. "'Rotten,' Bliss agreed. "'It's a wretched morning to go out looking for work,' she went on. "'You haven't an idea of a post, I suppose?' Bliss shook his head grimly. "'To tell the truth, Mrs. Heath,' he said, "'it isn't very often I have found myself in this position, and I'm not sure—' "'that I should go about the business the right way. "'What do your lodgers do as a rule when they want a job?' "'They try either a Labour Bureau or a Registry Office,' "'Mrs. Heath told him, "'according to their means and the sort of job they want. "'I have a week's salary in my pocket, "'and I don't owe you anything, do I, Mrs. Heath?' "'You know I'm not thinking about that, sir,' "'she declared reproachfully.' "'Anyway, I think it will run to a registry office,' he decided. "'Tell me a good one, Mrs. Heath.' She paused for a moment to reflect. "'It depends a little on the sort of post you're looking for,' she said. "'Now, what you want, sir, is something light and gentlemanly. Anyone can see you weren't made for hard work. Besides, there's something about your appearance.' Why, "'When your clothes are brushed up and you've got a clean collar on, "'anyone might take you for a gentleman. "'I should try for something light, sir.' "'If it comes,' Bliss remarked thoughtfully, "'to a contest between brain and muscle, "'I'm not really sure in my case which would win. "'Let me give myself the benefit of the doubt and say brain.' "'Then you try Smithson's, corner of Endell Street,' Mrs. Heath advised. "'I know a young fellow got a job there, twenty-four shillings a week, and kept it for two years.' Bliss took up his hat. "'Smithson's it shall be,' he declared. "'And here's luck, Mrs. Heath.' The luck came slowly. Four successive mornings Bliss spent the greater part of his day either waiting about Smithsons or making long and purposeless tramps in search of a situation. On the fifth day the crush at the office was greater than usual. He stood for half an hour in a queue of men of all ages and conditions. Every now and then he moved a few steps forward. In the end his turn came. He leaned across the counter of the inquiry office and was confronted by an anemic-looking young man who wore spectacles and a general air of distraction. "'You back again?' he exclaimed as he recognised Bliss. "'Why, I've given you a dozen names in the last four days.' "'Done my best,' Bliss answered promptly. "'I was five minutes too late for the last job.' The young man scribbled a name on a piece of paper and handed it across the counter. "'Look here.' he said. If you can't bring that off, you'd better try another office. You've had your value out of this one.' "'I've tried for every job you've given me,' Bliss protested. "'I've good references, and I'm not particular about wages. It isn't my fault that they're all filled up before I get there.' "'Well, hop it now,' the young man advised. "'Don't show yourself here unless you're prepared to plank down another fee.' Bliss marched out into the street glanced at the piece of paper in his hand, and set off steadily westwards. In something less than half an hour he arrived at his destination. He paused outside a block of buildings in King Street, and entering, mounted steadily to the topmost flight of stairs. From the luxury of the first three floors he passed by slow stages to a bare simplicity. The final stairs were uncarpeted, the walls unpapered. The lift itself reached its terminus on the floor below. A small brass plate adorned the panel of the only door upon the landing. A brass plate upon which was inscribed the name which Bliss bore upon the slip of paper he was carrying, Mr. W. Cockerill. Bliss paused for a moment to recover his breath, then knocked at the door. He turned the handle and entered. A shrill voice greeted him. "'Oh, you bad young man! Bad young man!' Bliss dropped his hat and forgot to pick it up. Exactly opposite to him, perched upon the mantelpiece, was a grey parrot with its head on one side and a knob of sugar in its claw. Five canaries shared a cage which hung before one window and two bullfinches, a smaller one suspended from the ceiling. A third bullfinch was hopping about the top of a derby desk, at which was seated an elderly gentleman, grey-haired, with pink-and-white complexion, gold-rimmed spectacles, and a type of countenance almost cheerable-like in its benevolence. "'Come in, sir, come in,' Mr Cockerill invited. "'Don't mind my birds. They're a little noisy, but they're very companionable.' "'Now what can I do for you today? Bliss recovered his composure to some extent. He picked up his hat and stood before the desk. "'I had your name from Smithston's registry office,' he announced. "'I called about the situation of Light Porter.' Mr. Cockrell shook his head at once. "'Not a bit of good, my young friend,' he declared, pleasantly but firmly. "'Not a bit of good?' The parrot screeched from the mantelpiece. Bliss turned towards the door. "'Well, of course, if you both think so,' he began with an angry glance toward the bird. "'Stop a moment!' Mr Cockerel exclaimed. "'A sense of humour I perceive most unusual. Come here and let me look at you. Round this side of the desk.' Bliss obeyed promptly. His blue serge suit was now showing considerable signs of wear. His Bond Street socks were no longer in evidence. His patent shoes, the triumph of a fashionable maker, had been replaced by heavy ready-made boots. His cheeks were a little sunken, although the eyes were bright. He wore a flannel collar, and his tie was still neat. Mr Cockerill looked him up and down, and shook his head again slowly no physique he declared no physique at all not what i'm looking for young man very sorry here's a shilling for your trouble it isn't a shilling i want bliss replied desperately it's a job why won't i do they told me at the office you wanted a light porter is there any heavy work mr cockerall stroked his chin "'Not exactly heavy work,' uh, he admitted. "'The duties would be to clean out and feed the birds every morning. "'Tommy, by the by, is very particular about his cold bath,' he added, pointing to the bullfinch, which was still hopping about on the top of the desk, "'announce the visitors to me and go on errands.' "'Well, you don't want a sandow for that job.' Bliss protested. Mr. Cockerell sighed. "'My young friend,' he said, "'I will make a confession. I'm an exceedingly nervous person. As you may perceive from my surroundings, I'm a man of peace. I've never been trained in the art of self-defence. My muscles are flabby. I've absolutely no physical strength. I'm a nervous man.' Up here I am, as it were, cut off from the rest of the world. I sit here at my labours, and I am at the mercy of any chance caller who might enter these rooms with burglarious or personally vindictive feelings. Uh, I don't quite understand, Bliss confessed, a little puzzled. Do you get many visitors? Not many, uh, Mr. Cockrell replied. "'But still, visitors do find their way here. I have business which brings me callers, and I am reputed to be wealthy. Uh, Another confession, young man,' uh, he added, dropping his voice a little, "'I read the police news, and it always seems to me that I am an ideal subject uh, for a brutal assault. Uh, That is—' is one reason why I desire the services of a light porter. He sits outside, and if I have an undesirable visitor, I summon him, he enters, and protects me. There you are.' "'Why, I could do that,' Bliss insisted. "'I may not be very strong, but I'm no coward.' Mr Cockerell rose to his feet. He was exceedingly well-dressed in a morning coat and dark grey trousers— broad-toed shoes, wonderfully polished, with white linen gaiters. A black ribbon fob hung from his waistcoat, and from his neat tie sparkled a diamond pin. Even I, he remarked regretfully, am taller than you. How could you stop me if I tried to rush from the room? Would you like me to show you? Bliss asked. You couldn't do it. Bliss stretched out his arm Twisted a little on one side and bent his left knee. Mister. Cockerill struggled up from the carpet to a sitting posture and readjusted his spectacles. He was not in the least angry, but he seemed very much impressed. How the devil did you do that? He demanded. Jujitsu, Bliss answered. Jujitsu, the parrot screamed, thrusting its head forward. Oh, Lord! I know several more. "'Bliss continued. "'Handsome lessons once from a Jap. "'There's one.' "'Never mind about the others,' Mr Cockerel interrupted, "'hastily brushing the dirt from his coat-sleeves. "'You're engaged. "'I'll give you twenty-five shillings a week, "'a half a dozen linen collars to start with, "'and a respectable hat. "'Here's a book about birds. "'Go and sit outside and read it.' "'If I want anything, I'll call you. You understand?' "'Perfectly, sir. Thank you.' "'Read the article on Bullfinch's diet,' Mr Cockeraw concluded. "'Then you'll be able to look out for the oddments they like.' Bliss sat down in his chair, laid his hat on the floor at his side, and opened the book on birds. He was feeling a little dazed.' On the other side of the closed door he could hear the slow ticking of the typewriter which stood on Mr Cockrell's desk. The canaries were singing vigorously, but the parrot had relapsed into silence. Every now and then he could hear the rattle of the lift, and the hum of traffic from Piccadilly was just audible. So passed the first hour in his new situation. At one o'clock precisely, a neatly dressed waiter climbed the stone stairs, bearing luncheon on a tray. He stared at Bliss, and Bliss stared at him. "'Who's that for?' Bliss asked. "'Your governor,' the waiter replied. "'Is he here?' Bliss knocked at the door and thrust in his head. "'A waiter is here with luncheon, sir,' he announced. "'He can enter,' Mr Cockerel directed.' The man arranged the tray upon a table at the side of the desk, with the air of one accustomed to the task. "'You can order from this young man,' Mr Cockerell said. "'A chop or steak or cut from the joint with cheese and half a pint of beer, uh, not more. Uh, you must eat it in your chair outside, and you may not smoke.' Bliss gave his order promptly, ate his luncheon with astounding appetite and sat back in his chair afterwards with folded arms. He was beginning to realise that this task of doing nothing was not, after all, so easy. He read the chapter on the peculiar habits and dietetic predilections of bullfinches with great care. He also laid in a store of knowledge as to the domestic habits of canaries and the ailments likely to attack a parrot after which he became a little bored. He heard with positive relief at about four o'clock the stoppage of the lift on the floor below and the sound of light footsteps ascending the final flight of stairs. The visitor was a lady, young, slim, and as far as one could tell, under her unusually thick veil, good-looking. "'You wish to see Mr Cockerel, madam?' Bliss inquired in his best manner. At once, please, she assented. What name shall I say, madam? Mr. Cockerell is expecting me, she replied hastily. Bliss knocked at the door and announced the visitor. Afterwards, he relapsed into his chair and dozed. It was perhaps twenty minutes before the door reopened and the young lady passed out. He rose to his feet. It was in his mind to precede her down the stairs and ring for the lift, but she gave him no chance of carrying out his intention. For one thing she passed out far too quickly, and for another he caught the gleam of something in her eyes which held him for the moment spellbound. She had seemed nervous when she had arrived. She seemed to depart in a dream of terror. Bliss sank slowly back into his chair, and pinched himself to make sure that he was awake. At half-past five precisely, Mr. Cockerel opened the door. "'I shall now,' he said, "'show you exactly how I like the cages cleaned. "'Tommy, as you will discover, is very particular about sand.' and my little canary there, Jenny, I call her, uh, absolutely refuses to sleep in the dark. We have to leave the curtain just a little open. Bring in some water from the tap there. For a quarter of an hour Bliss was instructed in the art of looking after the birds. At the end of that time Mr. Cockerell took up an immaculately brushed silk hat and, closing his desk, came out and locked the door of his room. "'Tomorrow morning,' uh," he announced, "'we meet here at nine o'clock. "'If I choose to be a little later, "'you will sit in your chair and wait for me. "'You will find the times on the mat "'which you will kindly not touch, "'as I prefer to open it myself. Uh, "'Here is a sovereign. uh, "'By yourself.' some linen collars, and a respectable hat, and account to me for the change, or, if it is any convenience to you, you can deduct it from your first week's salary. I wish you good evening.' Bliss followed his employer down the stairs, a little bewildered. He purchased the collars and the hat, and, after some hesitation, he treated himself to a packet of cigarettes. Then he made his way homewards. Mrs. Heath, whom he passed climbing the many stairs that led to his room, looked at him a little anxiously. "'Any luck, sir?' she asked. "'It's all right, Mrs. Heath,' he declared cheerily. "'I've got a job again. Light Porter at twenty-five shillings a week. Smithston's came out all right in the long run. I shall be able to pay my rent on Saturday.' "'You know it wasn't the money I was thinking of so much, Mr Bliss,' she said with a pathetic smile. "'But anyone can see you have not been used to these privations, and the breakfasts you've eaten these last few mornings haven't been enough to keep a child alive, much less a young man who is tramping about looking for work all day.' "'Never was much of a breakfast-eater,' Bliss declared. "'Don't you worry about me, Mrs Heath. I have had a jolly good dinner in the middle of the day, given him with the job. If you would send me up some tea, I am going to bed early.' "'Tea, you shall have this moment,' Mrs Heath promised. Bliss climbed up to his attic and, almost against his will, found himself drawn towards the window. The roar of the city was in his ears there was a dull red glow in the smoke-stained sky where the sun had gone down. Already the lights were throwing their strange artificial halo over the western part of the city. In the streets below the people still moved by in a ceaseless stream, on their way from work, white-faced, with shoulders a little bent, each with the air of having some destination to reach in the shortest possible way, and in the shortest possible manner. He looked down at them, and away again westwards, towards his own land. Already he was beginning to wonder. End of Chapter Six Chapter Seven For three weeks Bliss held his post to his own content, and to the apparent satisfaction of his employer. He made friends with the birds, and on rare occasions Tommy, the itinerant bullfinch, would consent to come and sit on the arm of his chair and share his luncheon. All the time his curiosity concerning Mr Cockerel's avocation, awakened on the first day, became greater and greater. He summoned up his courage at last and asked him a question. If it's not taking a liberty, sir, might I ask what your profession is? There was a moment's silence. Mr. Cockrell, who seemed in no way offended, was nevertheless regarding his employee with a new expression on his face. Curious, eh, bliss? I'm afraid I am, sir. Bad habit, I know. Bad habit? The parrot screamed looking round from the bottom of the waste-paper basket where it was engaged in destroying some envelopes curiosity is one of the failings mr cockerel said benignly from which you bliss or any one who serves me must be free Uh, Nevertheless, uh, since you have asked me this question like a man, and have abstained from all prying about, and endeavours to satisfy your thirst for information by illicit means, uh, I will pander to some extent to your weakness. Uh, Look here. He touched with his forefinger a pile of typewritten sheets. I am writing a book connected with various phases of "'Ornithology,' Mr. Cockerall continued. "'I advertise in the papers for any original anecdotes regarding certain species of birds. "'All manner of men and women bring me their stories. Uh, "'If they are of value I pay for them. "'If they're not I don't. "'If your visitors here all come upon such harmless errands—' "'Why are you afraid, then, of being assaulted or of burglars?' Bliss asked. Mr. Cockerell smiled. He took off his spectacles and rubbed the glasses with his silk handkerchief. "'Most of the people who come here want money,' he explained. "'And no person who wants money is altogether harmless. Uh, Besides, I am afraid, I must confess, "'I'm a man of nervous temperament. "'Have I satisfied your curiosity, Bliss?' "'Quite, sir. Thank you.' For two days after that there were no visitors. On the third evening Bliss, on his way out, was accosted by a cheerful, red-faced little man who was standing on the ground floor, smoking a big cigar and studying the register on the wall. "'Good evening,' he said. "'Good evening,' Bliss replied. "'The little man produced a cigar-case. "'Have one?' he invited. Bliss, who, a few months ago, had smoked nothing less expensive than Muria's or Corona's at a hundred and eighty shillings a hundred, accepted a very dubious-looking cigar with gratitude. He paused to light it, standing in the doorway.' "'Queer fish your governor?' Bliss blew out the match and threw it away. "'Queerest I've ever met,' he admitted. "'Good-night.' The little man strolled along with him. "'What might his profession be?' he asked curiously. Bliss hesitated for a moment. "'No secret about it that I know of. He's a bird-fancier.' "'A what?' "'A bird-fancier.' "'Bliss repeated. "'He's got a parrot, uh, several canaries, and three bullfinches in his room, "'and he's writing a book on birds.' "'The little man looked sideways at his companion. "'Bliss, however, was walking along quite unconsciously. "'Gets a good many visitors at times, doesn't he? "'He pays for stories about birds,' Bliss explained. "'People are all the time bringing him anecdotes.' If he can make use of them in his book, he pays for them. The little man's lips twitched. He laughed softly to himself for some moments, then he drew closer to his companion. I'm not blaming you, he declared. I should do the same in your place, only probably not so well. What about a ten-pound note? Well, what about it? Bliss repeated a little bewildered. His companion thrust his hand into his waistcoat pocket, produced the ten-pound note, which he displayed a little ostentatiously, and thrust it back again. "'Have a drink?' he suggested, stopping short upon the pavement opposite a public-house. "'My turn,' Bliss answered, pushing open the swing-door. You stood the cigar. "'On this occasion?' "'I am in the chair,' the little man persisted. "'Mine's a whisky and soda. What's yours? We'll sit at this table.' Uh, "'Mine's the same,' Bliss replied. "'You were saying something about a ten-pound note?' The little man leaned across the table. "'My name's Johnson,' he announced. "'Mine's Bliss. Pleased to meet you. "'We'll cut the preliminaries and get to business.' "'Mr. Johnson continued. "'I am in the employ of a private detective office. "'We are paying for information as to the doings of Mr. Cockerill.' "'Bliss pushed away his tumbler. "'The whiskey and soda cost you sixpence,' he said, "'and the cigar, I should think, not more than threepence. "'You have made a bad debt of ninepence. "'Good evening.' Bliss marched out of the place and made his way homewards. He saw no more of the little man, but the affair, however, spoilt his night's rest. The next morning he went to Mr. Cockerell. "'Can you spare a moment, sir?' Mr. Cockerell looked up quickly. His first glance was towards the birds. "'Anything wrong with Tommy?' he demanded. "'He seemed languid all yesterday.' Uh, "'The birds are quite all right,' Bliss replied. "'Tommy is on my chair outside.' "'What is it, then?' "'Fellow stopped me last night,' Bliss went on. "'Stood me a whisky and soda and a rotten bad cigar. "'Turned out he was a private detective, "'and he wanted to know what your business was. "'Offered me a ten-pound note for information.' "'Mr. Cockerell nodded benevolently.' Nevertheless, from the corners of his eyes and lips little straight lines appeared, which altered his expression in a marvellous manner. He no longer resembled Mr. Cheeryble. "'What did you say?' "'I told him about the birds.' "'Well?' He thought I was kidding. It was after that he offered me the ten-pound note.' "'And you?' "'I wished him good evening and came away.' "'Mr. Cockerell sat for several minutes without moving. "'He was surrounded by sheets of manuscript "'and a volume of The Bird's Encyclopedia "'was propped up before him. "'He leaned back in his chair. "'Thank you, Bliss,' he said at last. "'Anything else?' "'Nothing, sir.' "'You're the servant I've been looking for,' Mr. Cockerell declared. "'I shall raise your wages five shillings a week. Um, "'Get along outside now, please. "'I want to finish this chapter.' "'Mr. Cockerell was doomed that morning, however, to interruptions. "'In half an hour the first one arrived. "'A tall, rather good-looking man came hastening up the steps two at a time.' Bliss rose from his seat. There was something rather ominous about the appearance of this visitor. "'Mr. Cockrell in?' the young man demanded. "'He is Sir,' Bliss admitted. "'What name?' "'Mr. Verner. Harry Verner. I want to see him at once,' was the impetuous reply. Bliss opened the door and announced the young man by name. Mr. Cockerell rose from his chair with his fingers still upon the keys of his typewriter. "'I will not see Mr. Verner,' he decided. "'Won't you?' the young man exclaimed fiercely. He strode past Bliss into the room. Mr. Cockerell regarded him through his gold-rimmed spectacles with mild indignation. "'Bliss,' he said, "'you heard my "'Orders I do not wish to see this young man. Turn him out.' Bliss did his best. He picked himself up a moment or two later from a spot on the landing about four yards from the door, and returned valiantly to the charge. Mr Cockerell, however, held up his hand. He was sitting in his accustomed attitude, and the young man, although he seemed to be angry, was silent.' "'Never mind, Bliss,' his employer said resignedly. "'Since this young man is here, I will listen to what he has to say. You can wait outside.' "'Shall I fetch the policeman, sir?' Bliss suggested. Mr. Cockrell shook his head. Uh, "'Thank you, Bliss. It will not be necessary. I have decided to grant this man an interview.' Bliss retired at once and closed the door. It was about a quarter of an hour before the unwelcome visitor appeared. He walked by Bliss with unseeing eyes like a man in a dream. All the truculence had gone out of his manner. He had not in the least the look of a man who has been telling anecdotes about birds. From inside the room came the slow ticking of Mr. Cockrell's typewriter as he continued his chapter. Bliss began to feel uncomfortable. He was more than ever conscious that there was something mysterious—sinister, even—about his surroundings. The appearance of this last visitor had altogether disturbed him. "'Anyhow, the money's good,' he muttered to himself and I am in my third month. End of chapter 7